Welcome to episode 228 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spohr. Joined as always, and this time on a train, I believe, Mr. Eno Saris. How are you, sir, and where are you traveling to? I am on my way from San Diego to Los Angeles to uh, try and cover a Dodger game. Very cool. That That's awesome. Um, well, we wish you the best of luck in that. By the way, this is getting us closer to being like the Buster Only podcast. He's always doing it in an airport and other, other crazy <laughs> places. So maybe we'll just, you know, we probably already triple the listenership of an ESPN podcast. So <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, that's my guess. I'm, I haven't looked at the numbers <laughs> recently. I'm just guessing it's probably triple, but now we're a little bit more like them in terms of, uh, setting no i'm just i'm just kidding by the way that, that that's a pretty good podcast when you're done listening here if you have time to listen to another even though ours is the best you could check their little show out over there but uh <laughs> we're gonna talk injuries we're gonna talk performances we got one big uh player movement and i want to get your thoughts on the Syndergaard debut that uh, jason and i talked about on sunday and then we'll talk a little bit of bullpens let's dive right into it with some injury news not a lot going on negatively that's taking guys off the field from us. we got some comebacks to start talking about. Uh, first being Justin Verlander, who's, who threw a bullpen. He looks like he's slowly kind of making his way back here. I don't think it's going to be anything that's abrupt. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that we're going to follow every step of the way. We're going to know every time Verlander's doing anything that puts him closer <laughs> to returning. You know, this was just a 20-pitch bullpen. What are, you, what are you thinking about Verlander? Obviously, we're probably still at least the rest of this month from seeing him. I would say June is the earliest. But when he comes back, do you have expectations, or have you already put him in a situation where you're saying anything is gravy, I just don't have expectations with Verlander? How, how do you read him, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the upside is obviously immense if he ever gets it back together and if he's, you know, if he's truly healthy. Um, but it just feels less, a lot like last year. It feels a little bit too much like last year where um, Verlander is, is complaining about things. And, you know, even this stay on the DL seems a bit longer than probably we expected going into it. So it's not like I know of any specific setbacks in the situation, but I, I do think that, that um, his health outcome doesn't look that good. And, and, even last year in the, the, the health piece wasn't right. And that yeah, kind of see that happening again this year. That's the thing. It de- the health piece last year definitely affected his performance. And so with that in mind, it's really tough to get too excited about Verlander anymore. I'm taking it more as a, uh, a wait and see approach. I, I really hope he can get back to some level of, of contribution, not only for, uh, the Tigers, but obviously on the fantasy landscape as well. But for now, I would just kind of take it easy. I wouldn't go try to buy low or anything like that. Let's move on to um, Ivan Nova for the New York Yankees. He also threw a bullpen. His was a little bit longer. He threw 33 pitches in extended spring training. He's working his way back. And the timetable for Nova is, is looking like the end of this month or early next month. And this is a guy that I believe both of us have had some good affection for in the past with regards to what he can do on the field. How are you viewing him and his return from Tommy John? Is this something that you're looking more long-term, or would you be seeing him as somebody you could roster this year and maybe get some value out of in Ivan Nova? Well, I did stash him in AL Labor, um, and I did want to have Nova for the second half just in case um, because, you know, I don't think that uh, – I think the one thing that has been true for most of his major league career is that command hasn't really been a problem, at least since he got his footing – 
underneath him. He's had above average walk rates. Um, and he hasn't really paired it with a homer problem except for one year and then last year in a tiny sample before he was hurt. So I think that, you know, given the fact that people come back off of Tommy John surgery and, and show a little bit of a command blip, I think that uh, he could survive one. You know, he could come back with a, a near three per nine walk rate uh, and be fine. I'm just, uh, I just hope that some of his pitching mix changes that he underwent and, you know, the, 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 the fact that he was throwing the curveball almost, you know, like 35% of the time um, healthy season, that um, – that he'll be fine coming back because that's that you know that's a marker for for us for injury is is 30% curveball usage mm-hmm. um, and you know sometimes when when you come back from Tommy John I know I talked to Jared Parker about this uh, when you come back from Tommy John then uh, they tell you to put your breaking ball away so will it be the same breaking ball will he be able to throw it as often uh, will he use the time to work on his change uh, these are those are the question marks and then also the fact that he only really had one season in which he was mixed league useful and it was only 140 innings i think that means he's a deep league play but he's a decent one he's a good one to put on your dl right now and and, and i agree you can get uh, yeah i i agree with you it might not be no, great but, uh, it, it's announced so, sorry about that i you you cut there i thought i thought you had finished um i agree no, I that it uh it, it, it I like Nova long-term, but I agree with you. That's probably going to be something that you have to be in a deeper league for right now because he's not going to be the 2013 version out of the gate. There's, that's just an unreasonable expectation. But he's definitely somebody that I'm keeping on my radar. I really like Yvonne Nova. Um, next year, for sure, I'll definitely be uh, investing in him. But this year, like you said, deeper league. Uh, next up is somebody, if I can find the list. There it is. Sorry about that. Oh, Devin Mezzarocco. This continued saga uh, it remains extremely bizarre and annoying. He's back to not playing because they don't have a DH available. They played him a bit in Chicago. Uh, he played game two of the doubleheader and May 10th, which was Sunday's game. He went two for eight in those, in those two with a triple and a ribby. But now that uh, they don't have the DH capable, he's going to go back to his pinch hitting role. I know we keep bringing it up, but it's just it remains bizarre. It remains annoying if you have him, especially what are you doing here? Is, it, is there any situation where you're cutting him to get somebody else? I imagine no because of the, de- the depletion of catcher. But if you're in a 10-team mixer, is that something that you would entertain? Yeah, for sure. I know I've had a couple questions about should I drop Mizoraco for Yasmani Grandal or should I drop Mizoraco uh, for Steven Vogt? And for me, those two are easy just because their rest-of-season projections are, are somewhat similar mm-hmm. their upside is pretty similar um and they're healthy and they're playing so that one's the easy one but if you're talking about you know should i drop devin mesoraco for hank conger <laughs> um you know my answer is no and just try to i would try your best to get someone else on your roster that can play catcher um to get some at bats in there you know even if it's a josh fegley type you know just somebody to get at bats and keep that upside on your bench because you can't, the deeper the league is that you can't drop a guy like Mesoraco. You got to wait until that news is there. I mean, you, you never really know. They're probably shooting him full of core zone right now. Right. And uh, at some point, Mesoraco's going to have to squat and uh, either things going to pop or it's not. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out more. But uh, the fact that he can bat uh, is interesting to me. I it mean, really that, is. That, it says that, like, you know, it's not hopeless it's it's not you know 
a real big deal, but they just, I guess they, they don't want to pull the plug on the season and, and you know, having Miserocco in that lineup um, and then having him out for however long it will take uh, for him to get healthy. And it, it sounds like it's like a two month thing. Uh, they're kind of like, well, it's almost like we lose him for most of the season. So and, and I think they're, they're in a situation they can't hide him anywhere. Third base is taken. First base is taken. Even if you tried to get Stephen Pierce route, second base, that's taken. Um, I, I don't know if they could even try to hide him in the outfield because Bird's turning it on. And, of course, Hamilton and Bruce aren't going to be benched. So there's nowhere to hide him either. That, they're in a really tough situation with Mesoraco. I think your, your last point is, is the most telling with regards to the fact that, yes, he can hit. But at some point, he's just going to have to try to squat, see what happens, and go from there with Mesoraco. One last one. Would you do Ramos for Mesoraco? Wilson Ramos? Well, he's like an eternal injury risk, that guy himself. Exactly. Um, That's why I would say that. I would say that at least he's in now. He's playing well. Uh, he's got that batting average up. He's a, he's a good batting average guy. Uh, you'll probably lose some homers, but with the gain in batting average um, – I think uh, you probably you'd be losing some upside. You'd be losing the upside from Ramos to Mesoraco of maybe as much as eight homers. Um, even if you mitigate that with the batting average Ramos produces, uh, I think the upside from Mesoraco is better. But at this point, since there's so much risk around Mesoraco, I think uh, I think I would say yes uh, for for picking up Ramos because where you might lose eight homers or so, seven or eight homers of upside uh, from Mesoraco to Ramos, you do gain some batting average back and you gain the fact that he's playing right now. And right now, risking five homers to get stats right now is probably worth it I, in, I, in, in the leagues where those, those two guys are available. I agree with you there, yeah. And, and again, that's going to be a certain kind of league, probably a 10-teamer, one-catcher sort of situation that you could make that move. And then we'll talk last one, one last injury. It is a teammate of Mesoraco's. It's uh, Zach Cozart who continues to battle this wrist situation. Now, this one's been pretty interesting. He heard it on May 3rd with a hit-by-pitch. He came out of that game. He missed from the rest of that game through May 8th. Came back this weekend, uh, played in both doubleheader games, and then on May 10th went went three for four. I mean, he, he got hits in all three of those games, so he played all weekend. But then he's again, he's out again on Sunday, or excuse me, on Tuesday, uh, because of the wrist. So I know this is more of an update one, you d- and you don't really have to go too deep on on unless something's changed for you, because we did talk about this when he first got hurt, but. Is anything changing for you, how you're reacting to this, since he is playing, hitting when he is playing, but then all of a sudden he, he's going to miss a couple games? This seems like something that isn't co- completely gone yet with regards to Zach Cozart's wrist. How do you assess? I think he's mostly a deep league guy, so um, you gotta, it's one of those things where you got to hold on to him because he's going to be regular at bats when he comes back. But it is kind of interesting to note that um, his infield fly rate has gone down. Um, and he was he was this guy that had like Anderson Simmons like uh, batting average on balls and plays for the, the, the three years he played. I mean, 280, 255 last year, and that really sucked away a lot of his upside. Now now we're seeing a guy, yeah, a 346 bat is a little bit too much for Cozart, uh, probably. But the rest of season projections all have him going back down to 280, where he's actually not quite halved his um, infield fly rate, but he's done some some good damage to it. So good. Um, you know, I would say that uh, I take the over on his rest of season projections and, and think that he can be, you know, a 270 hitter uh, with uh, maybe 10 homers the rest of the way. Pretty decent for a deep league. 
uh, probably, you know, going to be on one of those top, uh, top five, uh, you know, NL tout, you know, NL, NL labor kind of teams where, you know, you didn't, you spent a dollar or three on, yeah. on Cozart and, and he did, he did good for you. He's hilariously leading, um, WRC plus for shortstops by a decent margin, 148 to 130 <laughs> over Marcus Semyon. I feel like it's pretty simple that you would take Semyon over Cozart, but what about say Zach Cozart versus an, another guy who seems to be playing, you know, definitely over his head right now, and I'm not sure how much upside there is, but, like, Freddie Galvis, would you, would you stick with Cozart in that situation pretty easily? I would. I would. And I might even go so far as to take Cozart over a guy like Eric Ibar. What about your boy as Drupal? Uh, and I only call him your boy because you saw some value because he was going really cheap, and I actually I understood exactly what you were thinking because he, he still seems like he could be double-double, and that's uh, double-digit homers, double-digit stolen bases for Esdrubal. So that's why I think it's a tough one because he's not performing. But he, you know, he hasn't he hasn't even attempted a stolen base. He not done anything. Right. One, one homer. And uh, Cozart has actually stolen three where that wasn't much of his game. So if you're going to pick one of them to get to double-digit stolen bases, you're going to pick Cozart. If you're going to pick one of them, I guess, you know, Cabrero should have more power, but he's also in – you know, one of the worst parks. I, I don't know. I guess Cleveland's about similar to Tampa, but no, no, he's in uh, Tampa versus Cincy. So great, great park for t- versus terrible park. Oh, I just meant for Cerebral oh. for his career. Yeah, but, sorry, I forgot. You're t- you're talking I, about where I he moved. I think I would. I think I'm. Uh, that one's a little bit harder, just because if you you know Cabrera Cabrera's had many stretches like this where he's looked totally unusable, and then if you look up at the end of his year for the last four years in a row, even though it hasn't been exciting. It's been close to double double. If you add homers to steals, you usually get around thirty exactly. uh, combined, and you get like two, you know, a two fifty batting average. That's not great, but it's borderline mixed, and it's definitely good enough for an only, you know, and fifteen league. It's right there. Cozart, I would say, is more. Um, you know, strongly mixed, uh, uh, an only league guy. Well, so we'll use this as a transition to talk about some some recent performances, both hot and cold. I uh, didn't even necessarily plan this, but looking at somebody like Yunel Escobar, has another five hit night the other night. That's two in the month. He's hitting 342. We know that's that's a little bit over his head, even for when he's at his best. Yunel uh, Escobar isn't necessarily a 340 hitter. But how do you value those two, Yunel Escobar versus Zach Kozar? Escobar's never been a huge power guy, but he's kind of like as Drupal in that by season's end, he's kind of at the level that we expect, which is high single digits. Ten, or, ten combined. <laughs> yeah, well, high single digits, low teens. I guess he was pretty bad last year. I didn't realize he only had eight combined last year because yeah. um, he used to be closer to uh, 16 to 18 combined if you do the homers and stolen bases. So I guess you're sticking with Cozart at that point. I, I, I don't think I disagree because you're trading batting average. For I'd I'd rather the power and speed of Kozar, so that one's not as also, good. Also, you know, also the, the the playing time component for Escobar is fringy. You know, Suspect. yeah, because you know Rendon could could get healthy someday. Exactly. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, where does Escobar play? So yeah, I, but you know, one thing I noticed that was interesting looking at Escobar was just that you know career high or not? Is it a career high? Uh, yes, a career high in fastball percentage. So for some reason. Uh, everyone's throwing him fastballs, and um, you He's know laughing. normally you, 
I guess well, right now he's laughing, but for the last three years, he actually had negative values on fastballs. So um, he kind of had the little slider speed bat situation going or, or was just like waiting on off speed pitches or something. But um, now he's it looks like he's being aggressive. He's swinging more. He's whiffing more, but he's striking out less. So I think he's just getting out in front and trying to hit early fastballs uh, early in the count and, and, and get something straight and go with it. So. Uh, it could be one of his better batting average years. It's been three years since he's cracked 260, um, but he, he had some 290s and 280s early in his career. So. Yeah, career 278 for you, Nell Escobar. So I say ride the hot streak, but nothing nothing substantial here. Yeah. Let's talk about somebody who could be very substantial. It's Chris Bryant. You know, he opened the floodgates with that first homer. Uh, he goes out into the bleachers that that, that now finally exist in, in Wrigley Field for his second homer. I mean, I don't know if the floodgates are necessarily open, but two homers in three games. He'd been hitting perfectly fine before that, or, or at least adequately he'd been playing, you know, with the good batting average and the good on base. But now he's really cooking. How many more homers the rest of the way are you seeing from Chris Bryant? Projections say uh, 20, 22, something like that. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I really like about what he's doing um, is that, you know, normally, it, I think if you're not a top, top prospect, um, the way that zone percentage ages for, for uh, a player is that um, you have zone percentage. Um, is it a high zone, zone percentage when you first get into the league? And that gets lower uh, as you age. It also gets lower as you, you prove to everybody that a good hitter and it's something that Stephen Vogt talked about he's like well you can't just come up and walk because you know they are going to fill the zone up exactly you. that's a great um, when you when you don't when they don't know who you are they're just gonna they're gonna they're gonna challenge you in the zone and then you sort of show them who you are that's the, how normal baseball works but Chris Bryant came up and they he got the sort of you know the the poo holes in his prime treatment right away <laughs> where they were just like not throwing him anything in the zone everything's off out of the zone and the best thing about it was after that first day where we said, "Uh oh, maybe Chris Bryant's overrated because he, you know, struck out three times or whatever he <laughs> Against did." Against a great pitcher. Yeah, and then you know, we've, what we've seen since then is that he's become way more patient, way more selective, um, and it's really helped, you know, his production at the plate and just our thoughts for for him in the future. So I don't know that necessarily this will always lead to homers, but I think it, what we're seeing now is that. It, is going to lead to homers because he is being more selective and he's forcing them into bad counts, which is forcing them to try and come inside. And with the lineup as decent as it is in Chicago right now, uh, I don't think that they can always sort of capitulate with the walk. So yeah, I think no, maybe exactly. what we'll see is that walk rate uh, go down a little bit as they try to, you know, come back and, and get back into hitters counts against uh, pitchers counts against Bryant. And, and we'll see some homers. Are you? Are, and the, the weather's going to warm up. And Wrigley is way different when, when uh, in day games when it's warm. So absolutely. Are you worried at all about the strikeouts in terms of the effect that they can have on on his batting average? Because I mean, he's hitting 265 right now, which we would take, but that's with a 33% strikeout rate. I, I I have a hard time seeing that hold because it's a you know 426 batting average on balls in play for Chris Bryant. Where do you realistically put his batting average the rest of the way? Yeah, I think the projections have it right with the 250 thing. Because, okay. you know, just 250 in general. Is, you know, the nice thing is, though, for his real-life value is that he's not going to be a Chris Davis where, you know, when he's not going well, um, he'll be walking like 6% of the time and he'll be barely usable as a major league player. Um, because no matter what, I think 
you know, Chris Bryant's always going to walk around 10, 11, 12%. I mean, that's just what his minor league MO looks like. That's what he looks like when I watch him at the plate. He looks like a guy who has a great eye. So I don't think he's ever really in danger of being sent down or, you know, being moved around. I mean, maybe being moved around just because of glove issues, but uh, I don't really think that he's, you know, it's funny to call Chris Davis fringy because he has that (laughs) power tool, but, you know, people were talking about last year, you know, does Chris Davis have a spot and what's his future with the ball with Baltimore and all that stuff. So I don't think we'll have that same sort of conversation about Chris Bryant because he has that good uh, patience. No, that's a great call. I I love everything we've seen out of him so far. You know, not going to be an instant super duper star. Took a little while for those homers to come, but the kid's holding his own. I think he's got all the makings of really being one of those transcendent stars. I, I know it's early to say that, but you look at kind of everything about him. I'm talking not just on the field, but off the field, and he's got that makeup. So I'm very excited to see how he he pans out. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, at least age-wise, maybe not talent-wise, the way this guy's been playing lately, is Mark Teixeira. He's already halfway to his 2014 homer total of 22. Now, the the batting average isn't there with Teixeira's. You know, same thing that we've been seeing these last several years with with kind of the shift, eating it up. Uh, so he's hitting 239, but with a 15% walk rate, Teixeira's still got a 353 on base, which is excellent, and a five-year high. And, of course, everything that he's hitting is just being mashed. I mean, he's got 11 homers, eight doubles out of his 26 hits. He's pounding the ball. I'm curious, where do you where do you have him right now in kind of the first base hierarchy? Obviously, it's a super deep position, but how high is he cracking for you in that uh, in that in that range? Yeah, I mean, I guess it would depend a little bit on what um, what your settings are. Sure. Let, let me let me look at let me look quickly at the ESPN player radar with their you know because they go five by five standard. Um, and he's eighth right now, so he is in the top ten. Do you think he could? He's a legit top ten guy the rest of the way, or are you more of twelve to fifteen kind of kind of situation for him? Before you answer, I'll, I, before you answer, I'll mention that neither Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, Jose Abreu, Prince Fielder, Edwin Encarnacion, none of them are in the top ten. <laughs> yeah, and Kendrick yeah, Morales gonna, is. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they're gonna see guys like Kendrick Morales fall out. Um, you know, I I'm looking at Yahoo and Stephen Vogt. Yeah, you know, I, say I like too. him. He's a catcher. Uh, he's probably gonna gonna fall back. So that that creates a, a couple spots um, for Teixeira right now, who's in Yahoo. He's uh, seventh. Okay. Uh, it's a couple guys who are going to drop, and then you are going to see. I mean, I'm surprised to see Vada behind him. Uh, right? That's oh, a well, weird player. They're, they're se- it's the runs. Yeah, because they're 7 8 with Vado on top at ESPN. So ESPN and, and Yahoo have a slight difference there. But I was surprised. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit more than a slight. I mean, Queen to Sharon Vado is Freeman and Morales. So, oh, they got two people at uh, got, Yahoo. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Miguel, uh, Votto, Davis, uh, and Abreu, I think, are all, uh, you know, going to move up. So I, I'll give him just real fringe first base. I think he's uh, more of a corner infield situation. Okay. And, and that makes give sense. Him, I mean, 
I, I love what he's doing, but that makes sense. I think that's where you have to be with Teixeira right now. Would you sell? Would you try to sell high on him? And let me say that. Um, let's see. What what would be a, a legitimate selling high on him? What if you could get? Do you think Dustin Pedroia is selling high? I'm trying to go off the first base position. Yeah, actually, I do because you know, no matter what. Pedroia is doing without really looking at him. His, his um, pop is way better right now. So he looks yeah. healthier, and obviously those pictures that he sent yeah. to Intentional Talk where he took off his shirt and showed how yoked he was, <laughs> it, it might not be the reason, but it is paying off early on. He's got five bombs after Pedroia hit just seven last year, nine the year before. So I would, I would take it because I think Pedroia is comfortably a top ten second baseman. I, I agree. Uh, I would take that deal. And I don't think I would say Teixeira is a top, comfortably a top ten one more i'll jump to the outfield and try to find a guy what about like an aj pollock who's kind of a do everything but not a definitely not a star level type batting at the top of what's turn turning out so far to be a decent diamondbacks uh lineup for a good uh for partly because of pollock he's been so good so would you do that or is that not enough for Teixeira? oh that's funny preseason i would have i would have rather had Teixeira uh because i actually liked Teixeira for a little bit of bounce back this year thought he might be healthy um but now I'm kind of changing my tune. I think I might take Pollock. And the reason that I like uh, Pollock most recently is that I just looked at his pull center oppo splits. And uh, he's going uh, – he's he's really – he's almost halved his pull percentage oh, and wow. doubled his oppo percentage. So he's he's doing the Marisnik, I guess, or you know even more than that. And I think that's going to be great for his batting average on balls and play. It's going to keep it high where it is. Uh, it's going to be great for his strikeout rate. It's going to keep it low where it is. And – you know, you weren't really in it for the power for Pollock. So, you know, right now on pace for uh, what you would say maybe 15 homers, um, I think he can remain on that pace, uh, on a pace for maybe 18 stolen bases. You know, if he gains some confidence there, I think there's even a little bit more room left. So we're talking about a guy who might end the season with a 290 batting average um, and 15 homers and 30 steals. Okay. Or, or 25 steals. So I think you know, I, you know, he's going to stay on top of that lineup. Uh, he's playing every day. He's he's survived Tomas coming up. So Pollock, to me, it's not as clear as the Pedroia one, but I think I might actually take Pollock. I, I would, too, and it, it's not as clear because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked on Pedroia rest of the season. I, I, I think he is healthy, or at least much healthier than last year. So that one's easier, but Pollock is still pretty easy for me. It's not because I hate on Teixeira or anything. I'm just a big Pollock fan. So um, I, I agree with you on both of those. And then we'll go back down the, the rung a little bit. I know we started with a guy, you know, Escobar doesn't have a lot of appeal, but then Brian Teixeira, that's widespread. We're going back down to the deeper leagues. I want to talk a little bit about Jordan Pacheco just because he still has catcher eligibility. And I mentioned early on how ravaged catcher is when we were talking about Mezzarocco. Are you seeing Pacheco as a decent, you know, kind of catcher too? Or is there any chance that he's a, um, he's a, he's a, a, a C1 in an NL only league? Or is the playing time just too inconsistent with Gosowicz there? Well, you know, He's and he's about to be salty. Very much. Yeah, exactly. I think the salty thing is a big deal. You know, salty. Jared Saltimaki has had some problems with defense, but uh, Pacheco was a fringe catcher. I was going to say, he, yeah, yeah it, that those two can commiserate about how bad they are behind the dish. And this is already a team that sent that thought they could uh, run Pete O'Brien out there, right? And then sort of gave up on it. So I think Pacheco is a 
throwback kind of utility guy. I, I think the homers, the, the two homers are obscuring uh, what is normally just a really boring line, um, almost a Francisco Cervelli type line um, with, with less patience normally. So yeah. it's just not, uh, it's not really interesting to me. Other than, I guess, in an NL only league, a, a decent uh, pickup for Mesoraco owners, yeah. keeping a toe, you know, keeping a toe in the catcher water, and you know, having someone play for them, maybe a, a fill in C two. And I, I, I just, I had some chatter about him, and I, I kind of figured it was getting a little bit overhyped. I know people liked him in Colorado. I think that was more because of Colorado. Even in his best year, Pacheco got 505 plate appearances with Colorado and only hit five homers. So I agree with you. The fact that he has two right now is probably obscuring what people believe he can be. Again, the, the way catcher has been ravaged, I'm perfectly fine with him as a C2, but probably not even in anything outside of a deep mixed um, and preferably NL only. So I just wanted to hit on him quickly because, he, you know, he's doing all right. But let's talk about some pitchers now. And uh, Shelby Miller threw another gem, and I feel like, you know, we got we to gotta talk about him again because of that. He continues to pitch really well, and I don't know if I've really gotten your full take on what he's doing. He's not quite back to his 2013 level because his strikeouts are still a little light, but it looks like it's it's been almost by design. He, he, he isn't he isn't as, as kind of um, – thrower-esque as he as he was back then he's making that small that that uh slow transition from thrower to pitcher at least from what i've seen out of him 50 percent ground ball rate up from 38 percent in that 2013 season i do like that and the strikeout rate comparison is only down a percentage from from 23 to 22 if you're looking at 2013 to 2015 kind of taken out some of the the troubles of 2014 but what do you think about Shelby Miller how high is he getting on your list right now in terms of pitchers the rest of the way I I totally believe in him I, I you know it's it's this amazing thing where I feel like I laid out a roadmap for Shelby Miller and he followed it exactly that was nice you know, of him I know. I said, you know, I said, ditch the change. It's no good. It's never going to be any good. No, he is not throwing the change anymore. Uh, I said, you know, use the fastball and sinker equally um, and, and push the cutter up to there. Right now, he's almost 50-50 with the fastball, the four seam and the sinker. Uh, and then I said, throw high fastballs. And uh, he's absolutely doing that more. And I'm, I'm just about to get the vertical movement up. But I, I know just from watching that there's been a lot more high fastballs. Um, and when you throw in 94... Um, you really just uh, you you really got almost the, the high fastball because that's that's his way to whips is get that high fastball up there and then drop the big old uh, curveball on them. So uh, it does it's not showing up. Uh, this is vertical movement. Uh huh. Let me do vertical pitch location here. Um, he yes yeah he's definitely up. The last two months, uh, the the first two months of the season would be. The uh, for average horizontal location or vertical location would be the highest he's ever had. Oh wow! Uh, so for the four seamers. So, so so we're seeing a clear uh, change in approach from Miller, and that's that's part of why I'm bought in too, because we're yeah. we're not just seeing the same old guy getting some good results, even though his ERA and and you know for those of you that like to look at the FIP and ERA and kind of match him, yeah, he he's above his head at 160. Pretty much anybody that has a 160 yeah, right. is above their head in some form or fashion. Exactly. <laughs> usually that's a combination of pitching very well 
and getting lucky. You're like you're kind of creating your own luck with an 88% left on base rate and a 203 Babbitt. Those two things are going to go up for Shelby Miller. But I think he can easily beat his rest of season projections, which range from zips at 352 all the way up to steamer at four. And then depth charts are right in the middle at 376. I think he's a 330 or better guy the rest of the way personally. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, his, his career ERA in 415 innings is 314. So it's like, and, and not much of a circumstances have changed. He didn't go from like a great, you know, into cores or something. It, it, uh, I, I, you know, it's not the best strikeout rate in the world. It's not the best ground ball rate in the world. But if you watch him, the stuff is really electric. And he's, he has changed the way he's approaching the game. His command looks better. The curveball looks better. Everything looks better. I, I mean, it's 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 a little it's fundamentally different, like you say. And I will take at least take the Zips 3.5 ERA over uh, the rest of the the projections. But I think I agree. I think you could even do better. But even a three point a three five one two guy uh, in today's league is not an ace, uh, but it is a top three pitcher in any league. So, Agreed. Uh, not like top three overall. I mean, no, no. An SP SP one two or three. Like he, he can be. Depending on how deep your league is, he can be that for you. Yeah, between you know thirty and forty-five, depending on what sort of mixed league situation yeah, you're exactly, in. Yeah. No, I, I I agree with you there, Ben Deronio. If you want to read a little bit more about it, he just recently wrote about him advocating buying high, and Eno and I agree. Um, you know, because you probably shouldn't have to pay a price. Because I still think the perception is a bit down on him um, as yeah. well. So you can almost get you know a little bit of a discount on the buy high as well. So we like Shelby Miller. I don't know if we like this next guy quite as much. Actually, I know I don't. It's going to be up to you, <laughs> and we've talked about him, and I haven't bought in, and he keeps chugging along, and for those of you that are playing in the guessing game, I'll give you the answer. It's Ubaldo Jimenez, and I remember a couple weeks ago we were doing, you know, guess who has the best ground ball rate in the league, and it was Ubaldo. Now, he's not quite that high. He's, he's shifted down to eighth, but that's still excellent. Of an elite 58%. The strikeout rate is way back up. He's at 24%. Walk rate is 9.2, which doesn't sound good, but for his career, it's actually his best, believe it or not. <laughs> Things are working for him. I remain skeptical, though. I know maybe that's crazy, but I've just seen too much from him to, to think that this is... Uh, you know, a wholesale change. Now, the ground ball rate thing is is a change from the from the recent years. Back in Colorado, he used to do that when he was pretty good, and then he got away from it, and then he really got away from it, 38 41%, but now back up to 58%. How much of this Ubaldo Jimenez start are you really buying, you know? Now, see, I might actually buy this year will be one of his best, uh, if not his best, walk rates of his career because the sinker actually has, uh, for ball the best uh, ball rate for his career. So okay. he actually, I think he commands the sinker better than any other pitch. And it is weird that he got away from it, but uh, maybe Cleveland was was uh, trying to set up some of his other pitches with high fastballs and high four seamers, um, and they didn't, they weren't focusing as much on ground balls. I mean, he did have one of his best seasons of his career. Exactly. Can't complain too much, but uh, you know Baltimore's a home runs you know shot up uh, in his first year in Baltimore, and his and his command was terrible. So I actually move for the command. I'm a little very low swing strike rate as somehow he's still managing to strike out what he's. So I I have to think that there's going to be ramifications for uh, from coming you know going so sinker heavy 
that are going to show up somewhere. So I'll take the under on his rest of season, even his projected uh, strikeout rate. Uh, in short, I think, you know, Baltimore will hurt him even if, um, you know, the sinker thing will help him with the command. The strikeouts will come down. I, I think I'll give him something like league average production, a 4 ERA, a one three five type whip. It's not good. It's not great. Uh, but it's it's like only usable. I think you know eighteen teamers. I'd use him. Um, but but, maybe but, you it, can but spot it has start some him. use. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, I mean, like last year he was useless, but uh, this year he has use. Um, but I don't think that he can you know continue to be great. Yeah, I I I, I don't either. I, I'm not even sure I would give him the endorsement you are, but I'll. I'll We'll go with that for now. Let's talk about uh, a, a division mate of his, Alex Colomay. You know, he had those first two starts that were really good, good five innings uh, in both of them as he's kind of getting stretched out. Uh, and he got, but he got pounded yesterday by those Yankees, the, the hard hitting Yankees. I think they dropped four homers on him. So you know, he, he was, I guess he was kind of due for for one of those rough ones. Um, but what is he the rest of the way? I guess is, is the real question because I think there's talent there. I just don't know how much. Are we going to see a lot of this back and forth stuff where he's kind of inconsistent, or is Colome someone who will fall into reliability? Because I love the skills right now. Um, I just don't. I don't love results like last night where he's given up. What was that? Six earned or eight earned? I know he got popped. I can't remember exactly how many it was. What do you think of Colome? I watched that, and I and it's interesting because it came on the heels. I, I actually watched it on purpose because in my chat I said. Colomay's wild, and uh, his command's no good, and that's that's really going to hurt ah. him. And then someone, you know, responded to my chat, or actually commented on the chat and said, um, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, Colomay's, you know, uh, been filling up the strike zone this year. So I was like, okay, let me let me watch this. And it's true that Colomay has improved his walk rate, um, you know, and I think it's mostly just by throwing to the center of the zone because – what that's what I saw when I watched him was uh, elite, like I think elite level stuff in terms of uh, the swings and misses he can get on his change and his slider and his curve. Uh, the fastball doesn't get that many swing and misses, but um, and I think that's part of the command picture, which is that he is throwing to the middle of the zone and he's missing his spots, and that's why some of those guys, Beltron, I think he was trying to actually miss the zone a little bit to Beltron. Uh, and it ended up being right in the lefty uh, happy zone, that right, you know, at the knees, sort of um, inside, you mm-hmm. know, in the zone. That was like Beltron just roped it, and there were a couple just frozen ropes that came from, you know, missing a spot. So I think that's uh, that's the good and the bad with Colin May. He's got great stuff. There's going to be a high swinging strike rate, even if he gets the 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 walk rate itself to a good spot. I think he may have some homer issues just from. Um, you know, the trade-off. Locating, yeah. Okay. So so maybe we, we're seeing some improvement in the com- in the control, maybe, so far. It's only been 16 innings. But right. even if it is real, it's going to come at the expense of command because he's hitting the zone, but, but, but not accurately. That makes, that makes total sense. But you do like the stuff. So I guess to summarize, it is going to be inconsistent then. It's probably going to be – he can look great for three starts, but then give a lot of it back in the in the in the fourth start. Yeah. Okay. I'd uh, rather well, start him at home for Woodsworth. Okay, and then um, Colome or or Hibaldo Jimenez. Colome because I'm a sucker for for young guy with stuff. Uh, it's Colome for me because I, I like 
people who are good at baseball. Uh, next up is Kobe <laughs> Lewis, and uh, I don't know how to explain that. The, the, Honestly, to be honest, I know I, I know I blast on Ubaldo all the time, but honestly, this is this is blowing me away even more. What Kobe Lewis is doing so far, and I know I know Kobe Lewis has had success in the past, and it and that was equally as unbelievable because of the park that he did it in back when it was still a uh, a Homer Haven. Um, we're seeing some great work out of the 35 year old. Now he wasn't as bad as the 5.18 ERA that we saw from from Kobe Lewis last year. And, you know, I, I hit him pretty hard on that opener. But he, he's not a terrible pitcher by any stretch. But he's been elite so far, at least with his results. 240 ERA, 102 whip. I don't need to ask you if you, if you don't believe in those because we know that. We're, but how good can he be? Can he get back to mixed league viability, which he actually had for, for two of the three years from 2010 to 2012? Or is he somebody that's going to break our hearts by no. – uh, pushing back toward a high four ERA or a mid four ERA. I think I have even less uh, confidence in Lewis than Ubaldo, just for the same reason you're saying. I don't see a change in his approach, really. Nothing. Yeah, um, that's the thing. And there's no change in his stuff. Um, he's still a guy with an 89-mile-an-hour fastball, a really good slider, um, and, you know, nothing really beyond that. Uh, maybe a good command. But, you know, he's given up one and a third homers per nine over his career. And that, for good reason, because not only his park, but also his problems against lefties. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, I think we're going to see, uh, so, you know, worse the rest of the season from him. I that, think it's going to be almost unusable in any format. I 100% hear you on that. 5% homer to fly ball rate is really driving the success right now. It's obviously got the left on base rate higher at 82%. Um, 260 Babbitt, sure, he can actually do that. He, he's done that in the, in the past at times because he's a fly ball pitcher. So I'm not even necessarily fully expecting that to have a super regression. But the home run rate will, and that's what will kill you with, with Colby Lewis. Um, I would sell out as quickly as I could. Let's talk some player movement. We're going to start with a teammate of Lewis's as Rugnet Odor was sent down. I know this one probably bummed you out. Uh, Thomas Field was called up, uh, uh, another in the long line of great baseball names like Grant Balfour and Bob Walk. Um, Field came up. You know, he's not, a, he's not a prospect. Thomas Field is 28 years old. You know, he's been up here and there, kind of like a, a, a journeyman fourth uh, or quad A type. But uh, he did come up, go homer and stolen base, so I know that's going to intrigue people. I doubt that you're, you're seeing much in him. You can say so if you are, but I know the real story here is that Odor was sent down, and that bums you out. Do you think he gets called back up in short order, or is he going to need a month or two in AAA to kind of get his feet? Uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that you know a week-long hitting streak is going to get him back. So I think, you know, if you remember how the Astros worked, um, when it came to, um, you know, trying out their different outfielders for 100, 150 plate appearances, because that's where a lot of these stats stabilize. Um, and they kind of ran through Mark Krause and all those guys last year. I think that you'll want him to have about 100 plate appearances um, in order for them to say, okay, he's done something different. And, and, and we can believe what he's done down there. Um, you know, maybe three weeks um, of, of just, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball and field, you know, coming back to earth will be enough. But um, I would put my money on a month. I think he's going to be back. I think field is going to um, break any hearts that are set on him. <laughs> and um, and that's, that's just what I think. In 
AL Labor, I had to do something about it, so I, I put in a, a fairly a large claim on uh, Jose Perella. Okay. And, um, it was but the, the I mean, Perella for me uh, is not that exciting, but he is an actual prospect compared to Field, um, and uh, I mean he's just the right he's the right age. Uh, and there was there was talk of him maybe winning that second base job out of spring yeah. uh, with he's, Perella. He's twenty five. Uh, he's behind an 85-year-old and um, and Stephen Drew, uh, who, who and so, coincidentally also has an 85 WRC plus. <laughs> Whoa, really? That's much better than I thought. Um, well, I, I, actually, that was a guesstimation uh, okay. for, the, for joke's sake. But l- l- okay. let me check it while you continue talking about. Uh, well, Perella. the nice thing about Perella is he makes a lot of contact, uh, puts the ball in play, and if he gets going with a good bat, with like he has so far, then you know I think. He, the pressure is going to be to keep him there. They, the, the organization obviously doesn't value Robert Ref Snyder uh, no. because they, they left him down there again. And I think it's because probably his glove at second is not that good. So Perella's glove is, is good enough to hang with Stephen Drews. They've said that by starting him. Stephen Drew isn't signed past this year. Uh, if the Yankees are not good, then they want to play Perella. And if they are good and Perella's playing good, then they're going to play Perella. So I, I took a little bit of a bet on Perella to replace Odor. You know, because it's labor and Odor got sent down, I actually get to put Odor on my bench and uh, hopefully find some sort of utility bat or, or something in the future. But, um, yeah, uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting. No, I, 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 I feel I like bad for Odor. I think, you know, he's still very young. He still has a lot of talent, uh, and he still has a lot of upside and a lot of time in front of him. But it's just, it's just what happens a little bit, I think, with free swingers that are super young and, and have a lot of taste of success and then have to adjust again. I think, uh, yeah, and and underst- I understood why we were so, you know, as part of the excitement coming into this year, uh, circling o- Odor, but he is 21. So if there's one silver lining here, it's that um, if he does go down for a while, people will forget about him, and he'll, he'll become post-hype very quickly. Even at even at 21, because that's how quickly the fantasy community can forget, and then that'll mean more for us when he does work it out. I'll, I'll probably get a chance to go check him out a couple times in Round Rock. So there's a silver lining to it, but uh, hopefully he gets back up sooner than later for Odor. And hey, the joke worked out almost perfectly because the WRC plus for Stephen Drew is 86, and you said he was 85 years old. So it was almost <laughs> the perfect joke. I'm pretty pleased with our with our set and spike right there, even though we didn't plan that one. Um, and then, like I said, this isn't a new a new movement, but it's, I guess it goes official today because he's making the start today, so I'm sure they made whatever move they had to to get this done. But tonight's Syndergaard's debut, and I, I, I doubt you'll be able to watch it live since you're headed to the yard right now, but... What do you think about him? I know you're a Mets fan, so this is a little bit extra special for you as well. What do you think about uh, his expe- the expectations for him the rest of the way? Are you, are you excited about Syndergaard as a mixed-league option the rest of the way, or do you see some potential struggles out of the gate? No, I'm, I'm very excited for him. I think all of the struggles that you saw in, the, um, in, in 2014 were park-related. He was in Las Vegas, uh, which is not only is it a bad place for homers, and it was one of his worst homer rates, but it's also um, a really bad infield, apparently. I was talking yes. about it, and the infield is hard as rocks, um, you know, and, and so balls just bounce around. He had a crazy bat at 378, way out of line with his, his talent level. So, you know, I did talk to him about it last year at the Futures game, and, um, you know, Thor, as his nickname is, um, said that he actually welcomed the, 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 the challenge that Las Vegas was because 
his curveball was ahead of his change, but his curveball wasn't as good in Las Vegas in the altitude there. So he spent the year working on his changeup, and I think that's great news because, you know, a, a full year where the park actually sort of forces you to throw a, a pitch that you don't really want to throw I think is great. Uh, power, finesse, uh, you know, 94, 95 mile an hour fastball, uh, the ability to command it, uh, a really good curveball. And what I'm hoping and what I'm really, be, what I'll be watching for is a good changeup. And if it's good, if it's plus, I think he can be an ace. If it's good, uh, I think he'll be a good pitcher still. I think he'll at least throw it 10% of the time um, to at least what, what, show it. What pitch was that? I'm sorry, I missed it. The changeup is, is, oh, okay. is, was always thought of as, as a maybe pitch. But he spent the entire year in Vegas, Syndergaard did, throwing that, that changeup. So I'm really excited to see what the changeup looks like. Um, and if it is even good or even if Flash is good or Flash is plus, I, I'll be really happy. And I think um, he's at ace potential. I know people talk about Steven Matz. He's a lefty in the, in the, um, the Mets organization that's, that is exciting and has a lot of velocity. But I would, I would take Steven Matz's uh, changeup after I take Thor's changeup from the little I've seen. So... Um, and, and Matt's is a lefty, and he's had uh, already had surgery. So, Syndergaard's um, ahead of Matt's for me, and I'm really excited about tonight. I, I think Syndergaard, and nothing really against Matt's. This is just more in favor of Syndergaard. I think he's a, a good bit ahead, you know, like a standard deviation ahead of Matt's. I, I think this is yeah. potential for sure. And I don't know that he gets the hype that he deserves. And I know that's weird to say about a guy who I think was universally a top ten prospect across all the major outlets um, at the very least had to be top 15. I know it's weird to say that he might have been a little underrated, but I, I think this is an ace. I think it could end up being similar um, in terms of trajectory to Matt Harvey from the standpoint that folks weren't necessarily universally sold that Harvey could be an ace when he came up. Remember, a lot of folks had Zach Wheeler ahead of him. And again, not to denigrate Wheeler or anything, but you know, it just wasn't not everyone saw that Harvey was going to come up and, and have ace potential. Now, even those who did didn't think he would be an ace instantly, and I'm not saying that about Syndergaard either, but I'm saying that I think that that ace potential is, is pretty high there, and he should be treated as such. Jason and I were talking about bids on Sunday, obviously, because I'm sure a lot of people but uh, a lot of people made their bids, but, but a lot of leagues still have the rule where you can't bid on the guy unless they're in the majors, and he, wasn't in the ma- he isn't in the majors until tonight. So bids are still coming up. When we talked about it on Sunday... Um, Jason was saying as high as 40 bucks on a $100 budget. Do you agree with that? Would you go higher? Uh, wh- what kind of bid would you put in for Syndergaard in a mixed league with 100 bucks? And, we'll, of course, we'll say redraft as well. There's no, there's no other pitcher that's going to come up that offers his upside. So um, whatever number you're comfortable with, that's like the, whatever biggest number you're comfortable with for a pitcher, that's the best I can say. I, I don't think that I see a lot of hitting prospects that are necessarily coming up. So, the, you know, the only other thing you would save your money for is a closer change. Um, if you're in an only league, you know, a, a guy coming over from the other league, which is a significant thing to, to save your money for, I guess. Uh, sure. But it also comes late in the season most often, and he's going to give it's you less no value. Yeah, so I, I, think, uh, I think that's cool. I mean, I, I went to 22 on Farella just to get him, and just because there was no, nobody available. If there was a guy like Syndergaard, he would like if there was a guy like Syndergaard coming up in the AL right now that I could have bid on in in, uh, in AL labor. I definitely would have gone to forty because he would he would come up for me now and I wouldn't have to wait for a Hamels trade or whatever uh, or hope that Hamels gets traded to the AL. So 
I think 40 is a, is a reasonable number. I agree, and, and, and Jason sold me on that. I think I was originally saying something like 30, and he's like, nah, you're going to have to go higher than that. We talked about it, and, yeah, that was kind of the number that we came to was at least 40 to kind of even get you in the convo, and I get it. And just to give you some, some perspective here, and it's, it's a different situation. It's 20-team, and it's head-to-head points, but he went for 82 um, in that league on a, on a budget. Uh, you know, that guy just went for it. He needed a pitcher. It, yeah. it, it is a $100 budget. I don't, you know, if you're comfortable with that number, that's fine. There are $0 bids in this league, so that does change it a little bit. That, I, does, I, that does, yeah, because you can get by on some $0 bids. Yes, exactly. So uh, keep that in mind. But, but yeah, going to be a lot of bids this weekend, I believe. Um, and you, you'll be okay if, if, if he goes out and throws six scoreless with 7Ks tonight. I don't think that uh, you should feel like you're, you're, you're reacting too strongly to that start with a high bid. Uh, unfortunately, that'll make you have to bid higher, but I think you can do that with Syndergaard. I think he's going to be a beast, and I'm really excited about him. Let's finish up very quickly here with some bullpen talk. Uh, just one piece, and, it, and it, it's, I've left this in the, in the podcast notes for like the last five episodes, I think, because he's been awful every time. Steve Sishek, awful yet again. And I'm sure everyone ran out and, and has been acquiring A.J. Ramos for the last couple of days. But now we hear talk that they might be interested in Rafael Soriano. What do you make of the Miami bullpen right now, uh, Eno? Yeah, I guess the Soriano piece would, would put a wrinkle in it. I mean, Ramos has the best whip rate on a changeup in baseball this year. And, um, you know, he's just looking outstanding ever since he, you know, is looking like he can command the ball. He's got more velocity than Sushek. Um it's not plus velocity, but it's, it's more velocity, and the, the changeup is so devastating. And, you know, Sitchek's problems are not just velocity. I mean, if you watched him, even the at-bat again, you know, did him a favor last night. Um, I think, was it last night, the walk-off? Yeah, so it's just yeah. Sitchek was, Sitchek hit, didn't hit the zone against Turner once, and Turner managed to strike out. So uh, I, I would say that um, Sitchek's problems are, are, are represented in, velocity but there's more going on there and i agree it could be mechanical or health uh, it may be a dl stint that's in his future something uh needs to get ironed out there and 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 they i think there's been some talk of ramos splitting with dunn but that's a lefty and i think that, that that'll only be situational maybe ramos loses a, a save to dunn where the last guy's a lefty and they're, they're worried but with a changeup like ramos has he shouldn't be that worried about lefties so uh, I think Ramos is, is in the catbird seed. Soriano, I, I, I honestly, nobody's, does people, have seen people have seen him throw? Do they know what his velocity is? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just something that, based on a huge walk-off, their guy's happen. been struggling. I mean, you know, it, it, it's an easy news to kind of link up. And I'm not saying that anybody's lying and, and they're not interested. They, they're, they should be interested. They should kick the tires and see what's what. But I do think that there's a, easy situation where Ramos is still the better option, they still bring in Soriano maybe and just say, listen, you're not going to close right away, but we will give you a job because it's May 12th right now and he's not playing baseball. I'm sure he wants to be playing baseball. So we'll keep an eye on that situation, but right now, Sishak, and the one thing, it's not quantifiable, but you watch him out there, the body language is horrible. He he, he has no confidence. And yeah. you know, we talk about the ninth inning stuff and the guts and the fortitude, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
But you've got to have some confidence anytime you're a pitcher, particularly in the ninth inning, though, and he has none, and it shows. So at the very worst, he's going to need a break. They already said that they're going to at least go to a committee right now, um, and I imagine that will be Ramos and Dunn mostly at the end. Uh, all right, you know, that's going to wrap us up. I know you're here approaching, and uh, we got to get you off of here. But we will talk to you in a couple of days. Have a good time at the stadium tonight. Here comes LA. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.